God of grace and mercy and power, God of generosity and transformation, be with us in this moment. Be the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts. And if our meditations or our words should uh, err, help us to try again in your resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If I could ask that great audio team to keep the scripture up for a little bit. The very first time that I ever went to church, I was 15 years old, and as with most churches in the United States nowadays, uh, about three quarters of the way through the service, an offering plate came around. And I don't remember, honestly, whether I put anything in that plate on that first Sunday, um, but I do remember that it took me literally years before I knew that that wasn't a spiritual practice but how the church was actually funded. <laughs> um, I thought somehow that the offering was about us um, making a decision, right? To put our couple of dollars or to put our 20, which was the most that I ever had in that, my wallet at that point in my life, and I had cash at that point in my life, to put in the offering plate as a, a way of practicing being generous. Just like other parts of the service were ways that I practiced praying and ways that I practiced community and ways that I practiced trust, here's the part where we practice generous. Turns out there's a little more to it than that <laughs> that I didn't know. Um, most churches, the offering plate or whatever the equivalent is, um, is what makes the church go. It can't go without that stuff. And I didn't know that until I was a little bit older. But it turns out I may have been a little closer to the original intention of the offering time in our worship than I knew, or than most people know. Um, there, at that time, because we all carried around cash, right, the offering plate was often where the church would be funded with real checks, real cash. Nowadays, uh, many of us give online. <laughs> we could give on any day of the week. We could give on Monday. We could give on Tuesday. We could give Sunday afternoon. We could give whenever we want. Why do we continue to have a time of our worship that we call offering time? Why do we do that? Part of it is, I think, that practicing part, that practicing generosity, that practicing giving. But it's also because, as I've discovered, the more into the Bible I get, the more into Christian history I get, the more into religious history in general I get, that offering is the oldest and most common form of worship. <laughs> in the Bible, once we leave Eden, once Adam and Eve leave this perfect life where basically their whole life is an act of worship and adoration, the first intentional act of worship, though it goes wrong and though it leads to murder, <laughs> the first intentional act of worship is Cain and Abel giving the first fruits of their grain and their vegetables and of their animals to God. It's the first thing. <laughs> it's the first act of worship. And um, it's something that you see in every culture, in every religion. I've been to friends' houses um, who are Buddhist, who have altars set up for uh, gods or for the dead where you bring rice and flowers and fruit I've been to friends' houses um, who are Hindu and have altars set up, right, where you put a necklace or something to make it beautiful, some sort of offering that is for the God, for the person, for the idea, not for you, right? There's this idea that making an offering is important for whoever we make the offering to, but it's also really important for us. <laughs> and that's the kind of religion that, that Jesus really grew up in. That's what people were doing when Jesus was being raised was, 
offerings were the center of worship and the temple was the center of the most important offerings that you could make. Um, folks who were farmers or shepherds would bring their first or their best sheep or their first or their best cows or their first or their best olives or whatever can grow in the particular kind of soil that is uh, uh, where Jesus grew up, which is a tough one, um, but a beautiful one. And they would bring it and they would say, this is for God. And there were a couple different ways that you could do that. And one was that um, there was a kind of offering where you burned up part of it so that the scent would go up to God. It was said that God loved the aroma. And then the rest of the community would eat together. So it was often both a way to feed the priests and a way to feed the poor. And then there were these offerings where you would burn up the whole thing, um, in part saying, like, I can give this part of what I have. I can give this part of me. I can give this part of the world all the way up to God, and I trust. I trust that that's a good thing to do, that giving to God is good and that whatever I need will come. The act of offering has always been an act of worship, and it changed for us when Jesus died and was resurrected. Because a lot of, if you read Hebrews or Thessalonians, some of the earliest texts of the New Testament, the, it, people didn't like immediately have a whole theological way of understanding this whole Jesus died and came back to life thing. It took a couple generations, right? It was very confusing. Um, people were struck. People were shocked. Um, they tried to figure out what had happened. And one of the main ways that they kind of processed it at first was that they would say, well, we know Jesus did miracles. We know Jesus loved us. We know Jesus was a part of God. What's so amazing about what Jesus did was that he was the offerer and he was the offering. They started to think about his death as a kind of sacrifice and a kind of act of worship that was similar to the ones that they had done themselves with lambs and steer and grain and fruit. It was the easiest way for them to understand like what had gone down here. <laughs> Um, and what had happened was the kind of act of offering and the kind of act of worship that they and their ancestors had been doing their whole life, except Jesus did it on this grand and extraordinary scale, where he gave up all of who he was, the completeness of his life. And then in the process, didn't have to lose it, because God is a God in whom life is always present, second chances are always present, and the resurrection in the face of oppression and pain and death and harm is real. And so a lot of the early talk about Jesus is as this guy who offers and is offered, sacrifices and is sacrificed. And slowly over time, the, the faith community that we are the inheritors of now moves away from lambs and doves and moves towards communion as the act of offering and moves towards... Um, bringing a little bit of what you have so that you can build up a house for people to worship in as the act of offering. Um, it becomes more about remembering what Jesus did. Communion is our form of the offering, of the worship, of going to the table and bringing something and saying, God, this is for you, because it encourages us to bring ourselves, us. It encourages us to bring our whole selves, just like Jesus did, to be all in. So worship and offering have always been deeply connected and in ways that I think um, are mysterious and can spiritually grow us and that we've kind of lost because that's, A, farming is, you know, is how some people live but not how most of us live. And so most of us don't have a piece of corn that we grew from a seed 
that we then bring to the offering plate or bring to the communion table and have that sense of deep connection. Um, you know, we live in late capitalism and it's money <laughs> and it feels different. <laughs> it feels different. But the, the spiritual act is the same, <laughs> that we are saying to God, everything in the world is yours. And the part of it that I have been given to steward, the part of it that I have been given to shape, the part of it that I have responsibility for, some of it I'm going to give directly to you so that I remember that all of it and all of me is yours in the end. We're still doing the same thing. It just looks really, really, really different. And it's helpful to remember as we look at this widow's story, I think, some of that context of sacrifice and worship. Um, this widow's story is, I think, one of the more famous. You've probably heard it before. Um, a poor widow, Jesus is watching her, uh, probably the temple was really, really big. It's a huge, huge place of worship and it has several courtyards surrounding it and then several large gates surrounding the courtyards. And she's in the court of the women where this box was, this alms box that people would put their money in to give. Um, and he's watching rich people, it's, it's from context, there are probably a lot of the scribes too, sort of people who are super connected to the temple, religious authorities, people with power, and give uh, fair amounts of money, but what for them is not a sacrifice necessarily, right? What for them is easy to give. What for them is probably actually more of a social act to give. I will impress the people around me um, rather than I am offering this to God. And then he sees a widow with her two mites, her two cents, give everything that she has. And there have been two kind of main ways that people have seen this story over the years because it's, it's, there's a lot happening. <laughs> and one is the widow is the pinnacle and the epitome of generosity. She has given her whole life to God and we need to be like her. And the other is just before this part of the scripture, Jesus has said, uh, the temple devours widows. It has its priorities all wrong. All of the scribes, they're constantly taking advantage of people. And what it really is, is a sad, destructive story about oppression, where Jesus is like, look at how they take that widow's last penny. They're the worst, these religious authorities. The priests are, the, are awful. Um, and it's a lesson about how religion can go wrong and how we can begin to take advantage of those who we should protect. Those are the kind of two main ways that the story has been seen. And I think the answer is probably both when you need it, because I, I think that's a big part of how the Bible and Jesus' stories play themselves out in their lives, is that we need different lessons at different times. And sometimes uh, we get a little like uh, cruel and oppressive in our religious faith, and we need to be reminded not you know to prioritize giving and the most vulnerable, and sometimes we could use the gift of generosity and that needs to be awakened in us. And so both of those stories are kind of true. But then I think the most true version, the, the way that this story strikes me, is somewhere in between. Which is where I think the widow knows, knows that the temple isn't perfect, right? She knows that it doesn't always act in God's best interests, or, and this is the people, right? Because it's a human institution. Not the temple itself, not God's house, but the people who work there. She knows it's not perfect. <laughs> she knows that they don't always do what they should do. She knows that they don't always act as God would hope. And she knows that she loves God. <laughs> and she knows that the mission of this place is still right. <laughs> 
And she knows that what God is doing in the world is still extraordinary. And she chooses to be all in, to be all in on that mission and to make a point by doing so. I think of this story as in the end about not the widow's might, M-I-T-E, like her tiny coin, but the widow's might, right, M-I-G-H-T, or the widow's strength, that the widow is saying to all of these rich people who are giving socially, who are giving to impress each other, who are giving to make sure that they maintain status, I am all in and I am a part of this community and you cannot deny me. You cannot deny me, I'm here. I may have two pennies to give, but I have ownership in this place. I am a part of what God is doing. I am a part of God's mission. I am a part of God's project. And there is nothing in the world that you can do about it, right? She's literally putting in her two cents. Here's my two cents, buddy, <laughs> right? <laughs> I am a part of this thing. And I don't know that I would have seen that in the widow um, until I spent some time here at Urban Village where I just see queer Christians doing that every day, right? Where I, where I see queer Christians, and, and in our community, Christians who ask a lot of questions, Christians who felt like weirdos in the church they grew up in, saying to the broad universal church through our participation here at UBC, yeah, I see that you don't want me here. Tough shit. Right? <laughs> that that is a lot what so many people here say. I understand that you don't think I belong here, Guess who makes the decision? God, not you. Guess who makes the decision? Me and God together, not you. I'm here. <laughs> this is my church. Jesus is mine. God is mine. And I am a part of this. So I think giving is really, really powerful. And I see in the story of, of the widow the power of bold generosity both bold giving that builds up whatever thing we're giving to, because all human stuff is messed up, right? There's nothing we can give to that's perfect. <laughs> and bold giving that changes us and changes how we feel about stuff. I think this is, in the end, what giving always does. This is why I would, I would encourage you to be bold in your giving. It's what I've found, is it does these three things. I think bold giving does three things for us. It, one, changes your relationship with the church. That's what I think really happens for this widow, right, is that Something I've heard from folks is that, and I've experienced myself, is that when you begin to give boldly beyond what you thought your capacity was, either in time, in leadership, in money, you start to feel a sense of ownership, of this is mine, of I am a part of this and this is a part of me, that empowers you to live out your faith in all kinds of other ways so much more boldly than you did before. You're no longer sort of a visitor or a spectator, which are really easy roles for us to take in a world that encourages us not to commit too hard to anything lest it, dis lest it disappoint us. You know, That giving really changes our relationship with our church because it allows us to say, this place will never be all of the things that I imagine, but it can be more of the things that I imagine, and I can be a part of that. I can be a part of making it that. I can be a part of growing it. I can be a part of changing it. I am a part of God's transformative force in the world. <laughs> and it's just huge to feel like that, to feel like you're not powerless, to feel like you have a place where you are changing lives and changing the story and changing the faith, that you are a part of it. It's just huge. <laughs> I think that's what happens to the widow. I know it's what happens to some of you. I know it's what happens to me. When we give boldly, it changes our relationship with the church. Um, the second thing that it changes is our relationship with money. <laughs> um, 
relationships with money are extremely complicated. We could have a little uh, conversation here about money and we would all have a different relationship with money and none of us would have a functional relationship with money. <laughs> and that's just how it is. Um, one of the big things that <coughs> Uh, I, I often talk about this in premarital counseling. One of the big things about forming a relationship with another human being, a roommate, a partner, a whoever, is that you have to all of a sudden work out all this stuff that you thought was just natural assumptions from childhood, but it turns out was like your life teaching you all kinds of weird lessons about how things work. And that's particularly true in the case of money because we never talk about it out loud. So most of us have very strange things. Um, <clears throat> money as power or money as validity or money as worth or money as frightening thing to be gotten rid of. Um, and one of the things that happened early in my marriage was that Matt and I had to talk a lot about the stuff that we were bringing with money. Um, I am, you know, <laughs> have been a student, a pastor, or a nonprofit worker most of my adult life. So I, you know, have been good, but not like rolling in it. Um, but I, <laughs> that's just, I, I live in that in-between space. Um, <clears throat> But growing up, I was, and I, it would have been hard for me to say this a couple years ago because it feels really awkward in the United States, but growing up, I was rich. Um, my mom and dad both grew up in sort of middle class families in the Midwest and East Coast, and my dad like really wanted to be a lawyer and really wanted to do all these things and like worked really hard and made like a crap load of money, and we lived a lifestyle that had a crap load of money involved in it. Um, one of the things that that, for them, for my parents, I think, to their credit, money largely meant the ability to make things like more fun and better. <laughs> um, so they were very, very generous, gave a lot to me and my brothers, to my friends, to our family, always wanted to like have a new fun experience together, like buy a new thing. If somebody needed money in front of them, they would give it. They, they really taught me about generosity, but also their resources could handle that level of generosity. <laughs> and one thing I realized when I was an adult was that I was very good at sort of sh like sharing out my money, right? Oh, there's a need in front of me, I'll do that. Oh, there's a fun thing in front of me, I'll do that. But I had very little intentionality about it and I was not working from the same level of resources. <laughs> and so that actually like wasn't a, a way that I could live. It was a pattern I had learned about your relationship to your money where you're supposed to be very casual about it, you're not supposed to think about it very much, you're always supposed to offer to pay, um, that my, my life could not actually sustain. <laughs> and so I had to really think through what does it mean for me to learn the lesson of generosity that I learned, um, but also to put it in a context of like actually thinking about where each dollar goes? Where I'm not just sort of giving randomly each day, but where I think at the beginning of the year, given that I have to pay rent and buy food, where can I give intentionally and how much? Right, that I had to like have a thoughtfulness about it. And that was sort of the opposite way where <clears throat> Um, he had grown up like he had enough, he had food, he had a house, he had all of that stuff. But his um, half of his family was Holocaust survivors and then very poor immigrants in the United States and they're incredible people and have changed his life and have changed mine. But they also really taught him the lesson like the rainiest of days can come. You need to be prepared. So he saves every single penny because his lesson from his family is like things can go very south, very fast, we need to be ready. Um, and uh, our, our styles didn't mesh, <laughs> right? There was, and so we, ha we had to sort of discover early on how to help each other. He helped me see the value of being intentional about money and thinking about the safety of our family further down the road and being responsible so that eventually I wouldn't have to sort of be asking everyone else for help because I had given away so much and I had to help him see um, 
it is important to have rainy day, to have safety, but you also can't live your life uh, assuming the highest level of risk because you have to give, because it's not real life if you don't. Like, the, there's a real loss to not um, enjoying anything and also to not sharing anything. There's a loss to that. And so I think we taught each other a lot, but we had to work through this weird money stuff. And all of us have weird money stuff. And your weird money stuff is gonna be different from my weird money stuff, is gonna be different from Matt's weird money stuff, but we all have it. <laughs> and giving really helps you work some of that out. <clears throat> once I started intentionally giving to the church, A, once I had the wake up call, oh, like they use this money to do all of the things that I benefit from. There's no, I sort of imagined that there was like, international fund for churches that like distributed little grants to all of the churches and like made the pastors happen and made worship happen and made the instruments happen. Once someone they sort of explained to me that that wasn't how it worked and I was like, what? <laughs> um, I started giving intentionally to the church and I've given intentionally to the church different amounts at different times in my life depending on who I was. But I started, right, sitting down at the beginning of the year, not just kind of tossing in whatever I was generously feeling on a Sunday, but saying, this is how much I'm going to give in 2011. This is how much I'm going to give in 2012. And the lowest amount I ever gave was probably when my husband and I were both graduate students. I, it was $250 for the whole year, but like I pledged that, right? I was like that, $250 for the whole year. That's what I can give, that's what I'm giving, that's what I'm doing. And then the highest amounts have been recently when I've had, or probably actually when both Matt and I were working. Now I work and part of my compensation I think of as his because he's a stay-at-home parent. Um, and I give somewhere most years depending on what my salary ends up being. Um, between five and $6,500 so that it's 10% of my income. And the way that that has changed my relationship with money is so many. <laughs> One is that uh, at the beginning of the year, it always feels scary to say that I'm not gonna have whatever cushion I'm giving away. Whether it's 250, whether it's $6,000, it feels a little bit scary to say, what if, what if some disaster happens and I need that little pillow, right? Um, but I do it and I trust. <laughs> and I trust both God, right? That um, I trust that the world is an abundant world and not a scarce world. And that all the lessons I've been taught by American economy that we all have to be fighting for the last drop are false and untrue. Um, I trust that there is abundance in God. And I also trust that there is abundance in my community and that if everything fell apart and I needed help, like they would provide it. And that's part of why I give so that we can do that for people for whom that happens in the middle of the year. So that changed my relationship with the money. But it also has changed my relationship with money. Any given year, my 6,000 bucks doesn't make or break the budget of the church. It doesn't either allow us to go forward with our full budget or mean that we can't, you know, have to cut a huge program or a person if I don't give it. But when I look back at the last 10 years and I think about all of the money that I've given to all of the churches over time, uh, I have made like a real difference in the life of the world. <laughs> I've given tens of thousands of dollars to churches that fed thousands of hungry people, to churches that told tens of thousands of people in the world, oh, you've been told that it's not okay to ask questions and to love Jesus? It is, and you can do it here. <laughs> I have given tens of thousands of dollars to the mission and to the vision of changing people's lives so that they know Jesus better, they know themselves better, they know who God made them to be, and they can serve and they can act, and I am a part of that. And it makes me feel all of a sudden 
you know, these little add-ups, this $100 here, this $100 there, that like money is actually really powerful and can do amazing things. It can do amazing things. It doesn't just have to be this thing that scares us or restricts us. It does incredible, extraordinary things because I've seen it do it. <laughs> I've seen it do it over the course of years. <clears throat> and that changes my relationship to all of my money because it makes me really happy about the money that I give to the church and the money that I give to nonprofits, but it also makes me think, oh, all of my minutes, all of my money, all of my energy, all of my body, all of those are things that have that amount of power and that I can steward in the name of God. All of those things. My apartment, my uh, you know, abilities, my gifts, whatever they are, whether it's your speaking ability or your ability to bake muffins or your, like all of those things, given the power that I've seen and what I have boldly offered, everything has that power. And it encourages me to steward my whole life and not just the part that I give intentionally to things that need it. Changed my relationship with money. And then the third thing that I think giving changes is your relationship with God. <laughs> um, it encourages you to have that trust. I think it builds in you um, what the widow had, which was a sense of how powerful, extraordinary, and needed she was in the work of God. Right? When she gave, she knew that she was an important part of God's tapestry, of God's ministry and plan, um, that she had as much role as anybody else. <laughs> um, and I think it helps us to remember who God is all the time. Um, one of the, the, the most interesting things, I have a couple friends who wear hijab who are Muslim. Um, and you know, I've had long talks with some of them about what inspires them to do that and where they do that from. And the, the, thing that, the one thing that I hear from almost everybody, I think everybody has different reasons, but the one thing I hear from almost everybody is, um, because I am so boldly and obviously following God when I wear this, it changes how I act because I'm remembering all the time who I promise to be, <laughs> right? Like it reminds me who I want to be because it's right there all the time <laughs> on my hair, on my ears, on my whatever. And it, and it reminds me of who God wants me to be. And I feel the same way every time I see that like push pay notification go through, right? That uh, you gave this much this month, it's coming out of your bank account. I feel like, oh yeah, that's the person I promised to be. <laughs> oh yeah, that's the community whose values I've promised to live out. That's where God is in my life. Um, and I think about all of the lives that have been transformed and all of the ministry that has happened and all of the extraordinary things that have happened here, but I also think about what has changed in me. Um, which is the level of trust that I have in God, the level of wonder I have and the extraordinary things that God manages to do with 150 people on a Sunday morning and all that comes from that, all of the wonderful, incredible stuff that comes from that. Um, and it reminds me of who I want to be, of who I want to be. Um, and that even as imperfect as things are, I trust that God will use whatever I give to God, my time, my volunteering, my whatever, um, to make things better. <laughs> that in every church you ever go to, there's like a little bit of the temple scribes, you know? There's a little bit of nonsense and imperfection and human messiness. Uh, that's also true of our country and our workplaces and all of our things. <laughs> and we sort of trust, or we can come to a place where we trust that it's still worth it to try and it's still worth it to be all in. That it's, if it's worth being in something a little bit, it's worth being all in. It's worth being all in on God. It's worth being all in on Jesus. And it's worth being all in on giving boldly of what you can um, so that all of these relationships in you might be transformed. 
So that's my story of giving, the widow's story of giving, the church's story of giving. I don't know what yours will be, and I will say, um, I do think the widow was giving on purpose. <laughs> but uh, just in case she was giving more than she could, uh, that's not what we want as a church, right? <laughs> for people to hurt or harm themselves in the name of guilt. What we want is for you to find the truth that God has in giving, which is that I think God is probably calling you in some way to figure out what it is that you can give, which is going to be different for every person, and figure out what it means for you in your circumstances, in your life, to give boldly. What would that mean for you? Um, and if you're thinking about that, there are a couple of we gave you a lot of paper today that <laughs> can help you figure it out. And one of those pieces of paper is this tear-off where you can say, here's a team of the church that I want to help build up, that I want to help transform. Here's a place where I want to transform myself. Here's an uh, event or a mission that I want to help grow because I am a part of God's work and I am essential and it matters that I'm there. And then we got a couple inserts. One is this, <laughs> volunteering. Your body and your time and who you are make us. <laughs> they make us possible. They make us who we are. Um, and you can check off, this is where I want to contribute this month. This is what I want to do. Um, or other stuff that you want to kind of think about maybe doing. Like we're starting a much bigger prayer ministry starting in December. Do you want to pray for people? Do you want to bring muffins? Do you want to, you know? Um, and then the last thing is the pledge card. The pledge card that we're going to have every Sunday here for the next month. Um, where you can tell us, this, so this is, not, uh, this is not a check. This is not you like giving all the money today. This is saying, this is what I think I'll give in 2018. This is what I'm committing to. So that um, we only pass budgets that we think we're going to be able to support. So, so that's why giving is incredibly important. Also letting us know what you're giving is really important. So that we base what we plan on responsibly. <laughs> so this is both a spiritual act of offering. This is the lamb, this is the dove, this is the cow, this is the grain. Um, but it's also a way for us to be the kind of community we want to be together that's really transparent. Um, and so if you want to fill out that pledge card today, you fill that out and you let us know. If you want to fill it out a different day, if you want to talk to me about it first, if you want to talk to somebody else about it first, we have a couple volunteers who've thought through a lot of this stuff who are willing to talk to you, let me know. And then we also have a few of these, and it's also going to be on the Facebook and on the um, e-news, which is like all of the numbers and the data of how things actually work. We think that if you're a part of the church, you should know how the sausage gets made and know how the decisions get made and be a part of them if you want to. And so this shows you some of the cool stuff that's going on in the life of the church, some of the new things that are going to happen in 2018, but also where the money goes and how that gets decided and all of that stuff, because you are a part of the community. You deserve to know. So we got all kinds of paper, but these papers are the most important because this is how you will make your offering today. This is how you'll give in whatever ways you can, whether it's of your time or your wisdom or your thoughtfulness or yourself or your stuff, and we appreciate it. So let's remember the widow, not as um, someone who tells us to sacrifice everything because we're not worth it, or someone who tells us that things are endlessly oppressive because people are awful. Um, but someone who tells us that in the in-between of human experience, the messiness and the goodness, boldly giving is one of the ways that we say, I am here. I am here and I am a part of this. And I believe that as messy as this is, God can do something great. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.